0: The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. I don't have to tell you that we are living in some very, very trying times. Sometimes it seems that our whole country and the whole world is upside down. We as Christians can easily become ensnared in these feelings as do all people of the world. COVID-19 is bad enough by itself But when you add in stay-at-home orders and shutting down of many businesses and even churches, we are thankful for virtual church. Then we hear that we should wear a mask, then we hear don't wear a mask, then we hear we're gonna go to school, and then we hear that we're not gonna go to school. We don't know what to think. On top of that, we are having protests throughout the country, which most agree is a good thing when they are peaceful, for they can bring about meaningful change. But there are always a few that take advantage and cause really bad destructive riots, which is very hard to watch. And then there's politics. Yeah, I'm not even gonna go there except to say that God created government so that we would have an orderly way to live, not just chaos. And he also wants us to submit and be involved in these governing bodies. Roman 13:1 says, paraphrasing, obey the government for that God is the one who has put it there. Now I might add very importantly to this statement by saying it's very important that you read your scripture and others like it and study for yourselves that you thoroughly understand what God has to say on this subject of government. People of God throughout the ages have faced many trials and difficulties and always will until our Lord comes again. As we go through these trying times, where do we look for relief? And more importantly, where do we find our salvation? Hopefully today's message will help with these questions. Let us now go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just pray to you that the Lord's from my mouth, the words from my mouth, will be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of today's message is Saving Faith. And the two questions we will look at today are number one, what is saving faith? And number two, has my faith in Jesus Christ changed my life, causing me to grow in my faith? We're gonna look at three different points that might help us answer those questions. Number one, faith in Christ is more than a bare belief. Number two is where do these things come from? And number three, faith involves the whole person. Faith in Jesus is more than a bare belief. We know from reading our Bibles and listening to our pastor every week that we are justified by faith and that we live by faith, not by works. And I'll talk more about this as we go on throughout this message. Sadly, there are many, many people that believe that Christ died and rose again. And, but because he paid for their sins, they can live any way that pleases them. We hear about priests and ministers that have sexually abused children, and then they cover it up as if nothing even took place. How many times have we heard about evangelists living the high life while stealing from their flock and proclaiming false promises in the name of Jesus without shame? These people talk about faith all the time. Even Satan and his demons, they know who Christ is, and they know that he is the Son of God, and they also know that he rose from the dead but they still will not put their trust in him. This is a faith of bare belief. James, the brother of Jesus, says in his letter that a faith like that will not save you. He gives as examples in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is fo- poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and someone says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? He ends the chapter by saying, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James emphasizes the importance of works, but makes very clear that when he discusses works, he is teaching that they demonstrate the presence of faith, not that they add to faith, or can earn any merit for us. Hopefully, I haven't confused you too much and we'll try and clean that up as a second and when we get into the second talking point. Now faith is more than bare belief and what better example of faith is there than the list of Old Testament men and women in today's Bible reading in Hebrews chapter 11. As you study this chapter, you will come to the conclusion that faith is about much more than just bare belief. Faith is always active Faith is always doing things. Active faith always starts with prayer and meditation. Sometimes active faith is no more than waiting on God or simply to tell a friend about God. Let me give you a list of seven verbs from from these verses that are examples of active faith, though I'm sure there are many more. Faith understands. Faith will open your understanding of God's word. It will impart wisdom. Verse three says that by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are invisible. Psalm 33, nine says, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Proverbs tells us to always trust in the Lord with all your heart and to never lean upon your own understanding we see that faith understands. Secondly, faith offers. Verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. Sacrifices without faith are worthless. Faith leads you to do great sacrifices by denying yourself. Faith also builds. Verse seven, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Faith initiates great projects that will be the means of advancing God's redeeming redeeming purpose in this world. Faith also obeys. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. Faith will lead you to embark on great adventures into the unknown. Faith also longs, verse 16. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Faith is forward-looking grace. Faith blesses, number six. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. What a blessing to have a father who is a man of faith and a woman who is a mother of faith. Faith leaves a legacy bringing blessing to your children and all that God places around you. Number seven, faith worships. Verse 21, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Faith will lead you to worship the one true God. So we can see that faith is always more than a bare belief. This now leads us to our second point, which is a central truth of what I am talking about today. Where do these things that we just talked about, understanding, offering, building, obeying, longing, blessings, and worshiping, where do they come from? They are like fruit on a tree bursting forth. Why does faith do all these things? Where does all this energy come from? The thing we need to know and understand is that faith unites us to Jesus. If you don't remember anything else today, remember this statement. Faith unites us with Jesus Christ. That's why it produces all these fruits. Faith is the way that Christ becomes ours and is the bond in how we become his. The reason we are justified by faith is because faith unites us to Christ who justifies. It is important to remember that we are not justified by the strength of our own faith, such as it is, but that we are justified by the strength of Christ who is ours, by the bond of faith, we are in fellowship with the living Christ who initiates this. John Calvin once called, an, once called faith an empty vessel, showing that we have nothing to offer, to show that it is Christ himself that takes the initiative in order to enter into our lives. I'm reading a book entitled Union with Christ by Lewis B. Smeads, and he says, How do we account for this reality, for this being in Christ? There is no accounting for it. There is no reason on heaven or earth why we should be so blessed. It is a gift. Christ pursued and overtook, I'm sorry. Look at the Apostle Paul for an example. He ran from Christ, but Christ pursued and overtook him. Paul resisted Christ, but Christ disarmed him. Paul persecuted Christ, but Christ converted him. Paul was an alien. Christ made him a member of the family. Paul was an enemy. Christ made him a friend. Paul was in the flesh, but Christ set him on the spirit. Paul was under the law. Christ set him in grace. Paul was dead, but Christ made him alive to God. So how does a person give reasons for this? He does not give reasons. He sings, Blessed be God who blessed us, even as he chose us in him. The Bible uses two analogies or two pictures to show us what it looks like to be united to Jesus Christ. The first is in Romans 11, where the apostle is showing us with words that faith looks like branches being grafted into an olive tree. He talks about the descendants of Abraham in the Old Testament, where God's redeeming work flowed through them. They were in this picture like branches in God's tree. Paul says if the root is holy, so are the branches. He then tells us in verse 17 that some of the branches have been broken off and that the wild olive shoots, meaning we, the Gentiles, have been grafted in and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. He then goes on to tell us in verse 20 that the branches were broken off because of unbelief and that those who were grafted in stand fast through what? There's that word, through faith. He is telling us that we are grafted into God's tree by faith. We are in him and he is in us. You might remember that Jesus told us in the Gospel of John chapter 15 that he is the vine and we are the branches. In this way, the life of Christ flows through us. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. The second picture that we see in the New Testament is that of a bride being given in marriage to the bridegroom, where the two become one. Let me quote Luther from his book, The Freedom of a Christian, where he says, faith is that which unites the soul with Christ as a bride is united with her bridegroom. By this mystery, as the apostle teaches, Christ and the soul become one flesh and they are one flesh, and there is between them a true marriage indeed, the most perfect of all marriages. It follows that everything they hold in common, the good as well as the evil. Accordingly, the believing soul can boast of and glory in whatever Christ has, as if it were their own. And whatever the soul has, Christ claims as his own. Christ's righteousness imputed to us, and our sins imputed to him, and paid for at the cross. This is like a marriage. Faith forms a bond in which we are united to Christ. All of you that are married, would you agree that marriage has changed your life? I think we would. Would you also agree that how your life changes depends on whom it is that you marry? I think we would agree with that too. So think about this. Faith brings us into a living reunion with Jesus Christ, and it is he that forever shapes our lives. Jesus is prophet, priest, king, savior. He is Lord of all. Submitting yourself to this person, to this Jesus by faith, involves the whole person, which is the third thing I wanted to talk about. Faith is more than bare belief. Faith unites us to Jesus Christ. It is me in Christ. It is Christ in me. It is a holy union. Faith in Christ involves that we trust him, because he promises, that we love him, because he redeems, and that we follow him, because he is the one who calls. Faith trusts, because it is a living union with Christ who promises. That's why our text, Hebrews chapter 11, was written. The people of that time, just like the people of today, were facing terrible trials, and we're saying, I have trusted in this sovereign Christ, and now I am having all this trouble. What is happening? Some are even starting to lose faith. Maybe some of us are experiencing something similar. The writer of Hebrews points towards the heroes of the Old Testament, saying that they all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen and greeted them from afar. He is telling them and us that we are in the same position which is that we walk by faith, not by sight. The faith that we have is knowing what we hope for and being certain of what we don't see. Faith puts us in the position of trusting Christ for that we have not seen. If you are anxious about the future, Christ says that the one who trusts in him will have no fear of bad news. Let me give you a personal example of this very thing, trusting in Christ. My son-in-law and I this past Tuesday were talking and he was sharing with me some very truthful anxieties that are going on in his life. And he shared the fact, and we shared the fact that he thought maybe that he might be lacking in faith and lacking in trust and, and uh, We talk that human beings are sometimes weak in our faith. But when we look back over our lives to past struggles, we can always see that God acted in ways that we could not see at that time. Now here's the part that I'm sure has happened to you. So when he got up the next morning and he started to read his morning devotion, what do you think happened? You guessed it, because I know it happens to myself all the time. God showed up. The title of the devotion that he was reading was Faith Over Fear. The scripture reading was from Mark chapter four where we find the story of Jesus asleep in the boat when a great storm suddenly arose and threatened to overwhelm them. The disciples were afraid they were going to die and they woke Jesus from his sleep saying, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus spoke and the storm became calm and you all know the rest of the story. So what do we know about Jesus that helps us to measure our adversity against his ability? We know that he overcame death, which puts our worst fear behind us. His death on the cross proves that he loved us. He is God, so nothing is too difficult for him. And he took on human flesh so that we know that he sympathizes with our daily struggles. Psalm 5611, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. The takeaway from this is that faith trusts in the promise of Christ, for we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Faith also loves. This is a Christ who redeems. We love him because he loved us first. The life in union with Christ is a life of love, and love is a faith doing its work. Love is the primary form of the obedience of faith. Paul says that faith works by love, Galatians 5, 6. He does not mean that faith is an additive, he means that faith takes the form of love. Love is faith turned outward into actions, as we talked about earlier. Love is a fruit of the Spirit, as told also in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The acts of Christian love are, impelling, are impelled by the indwelling of Christ in us. The results of indwelling of Christ are the love that becomes the ground of our lives. The believer knows in faith that the cross of Christ demonstrates the worthiness of sinners to be loved. Let me repeat, the cross of Christ demonstrates the worthiness of sinners to be loved. To say that this might sound foreign, foreign, but we must remember that the cross tells us not only did we need dying for, but that we were worth dying for. God died for his creation, the creation that he made and found to be good. And he kept pursuing it even after it fell. And so in this indwelling or union with Christ, we are to make his mind our own. When I see a hoodlum looting a store, I am called to believe that he is worth loving. When I see an Eichmann callous to the end in his demonic obedience to Hitler, I am called to believe that even he is worth loving. And when I see and look at myself, and I see the ugliness within my own soul, I am called to believe that I too am worth loving. This is called agape love, love without condition. Love as an outgoing faith discovers a beauty that unbelieving eyes cannot see. Agape love is the power within to seek out and accept people as they are. Agape love is rooted in Christ, so we see that faith trusts, faith loves, and faith follows, which is the next thing we will talk about. Why? Because we are united with Christ that calls. What is the God who gave you ears to hear saying to you? God is calling each and every one of us to to service in his kingdom, so don't be afraid. Heed that call and step up because you're never alone. If we are really involved in this union with Christ, who is a savior, teacher, priest, prophet, king, and he who redeems and he who promises and he who calls, being embraced by this person will involve the whole person meaning our minds, our hearts, and our wills. I know we only read the first six verses of Hebrews chapter 11, but my hope is that you will spend some quality time reading and reflecting on the whole chapter, and you will see that when called by God, the men and women mentioned in this chapter followed hard after God and made great sacrifices, not counting the cost. In talking to Pastor Zach, he told me that he really truly believes that his next subject, when we finally get back to uh, adult Sunday school is he would really like to do the book of Hebrews. So um, I would encourage each and every one of you to consider coming to that Sunday school class. It's, a, it's, it's just a, a great book. And we'll learn so much more about faith than uh, what the little bit of time we have today is to talk about it. I would now like to close with some words from Sinclair Ferguson. Sinclair Ferguson is a Scottish theologian known in Reformed Christian circles for his teaching, his writing, and his editorial work. And I might add that he is one of Pastor Zach's favorite teachers. He says, faith, then in its presence activity, is always looking forward to the future. And exercising it always means that we do not view life and its events through spectacles from the lens crafters of this world, but through the divine prescription that enables us to have 2020 spiritual vision in this world, because we view it from the perspective of another world. In other words, to live by faith is not to live by what we can see, feel, and touch on the basis of our sense experience, but to live on the basis of what God has said and promised. That is, faith, it it has at its epicenter in our Lord Jesus Christ. It takes its practical shape from what God has said and promised in his word. Living by faith means doing what the Lord did, living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God learning, understanding, embracing, digesting, and applying every last word of scripture. This is the Bible's key to the life of faith, to be so deeply fed and nourished by the word of God that it energizes us to live in faith, trusting God's word, living now in the light of God's certain kingdom from beginning to end. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So as we are faced with the uncertainty in today's world, We should always remember that Jesus said, as he sent his disciples out into the world, I am with you always until the end of the age. Meaning that when you belong to Jesus, you are in him and he is in you. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word that encourages us and builds us up. We also thank you for your word that shows us the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. We thank you that we can trust in you. We thank you that you never lie and are always faithful. And uh, we just thank you, Lord, that we can go to you in our times of trial and trouble. And you are the rock that we can always count on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit Edgington epc.org. May God bless and keep you.